And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West and the most haunted city in the country. Well, today is March the 1st, 60th day of the year. 305 days remain till the year is over with. It's, uh, here it's a cold day. Yeah, holidays and observances, which you all ask me to do every day. International Wheelchair Day. Global Day of Unplugging. National Dadgum, That's Good Day. St. David's Day. Share a Smile Day. Self-Injury Awareness Day. National March 1st Day. Duh. National Peanut Butter Lovers Day. National Minnesota Day. National Barista Day, National Welsh Corgi Day, World Compliment Day, National Employee Appreciation Day, National Horse Protection Day, National Pig Day, National Fruit Compote Day, National Dress in Blue Day, Overseas NHS Workers Day, that's National Health Service by the way, Mountain Hair Day, Plan a Solo Vacation Day, National Salesperson Day, National Wedding Planning Day, Retired, Not Retired Day, National Invest in Veterans Day, I'm all for that one, Jewish Book Week, Cheerleading Week, Will Eisner Week, Write a Letter Appreciation Week, Universal Human Beings Week, Cornish Pastry Week, and Peace Corps Week, and some famous birth dates. Justin Bieber, Jesus, Ron Howard, Lupita Nyong'o, Jensen Ackles, Mark Paul Gosselaar. It's Great Daffodil Appeal Month, National Reading Month, Veggie Month, National Sauce Month, National Colon Cancer Awareness Month, Epilepsy Awareness Month, Developmental Disability Awareness Month, Brain Tumor Awareness Month. National Women's History Month, National Nutrition Month, National Hemophilia Awareness Month, National Social Work Month, National Small Press Month, Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month, National Caffeine Awareness Month, National Umbrella Month, National Kidney Month, National Peanut Month, Shell Out and Go Get Some, National Craft Month, International Ideas Month. National Credit Education Month, National Cheerleading Safety Month, Endometriosis Awareness Month, Rising Star Month, National Music in Our Schools Month, Irish American History Month, and National Athletic Training Month. All that having been said, five oh nine BC. Publius Valerius Publicola celebrates the first triumph of the Roman Republic after his victory over the deposed king Lucius Tarquinius Superbus at the Battle of Silva Arcia. In 293 AD, Emperor Diocletian and Maximum appoint uh, Constantius, Thorus, and Galerius as Caesars. This begins the, the uh, Tetrarch, Tetrarchy known as the uh, four rulers of the world. Two emperors, or co-emperors, and two Caesars. 350 A.D., Vitranio proclaims himself Caesar after being encouraged to do so by Constantina, sister of Constantius II. 834 A.D., Emperor Louis the Pious is restored as sole ruler of the Frankish Empire. 1476, forces of the Catholic monarchs engaged the combined Portuguese Castilian armies of Alfonso V and Prince John at the Battle of Toro. The, uh, it was part of the War of the Castilian Succession, fought near the city of Toro. Um, battle was basically inconclusive. Both sides claimed victory. The Castilian right wing was defeated by the forces of Prince John, who 
possessed the battlefield, and the troops of Alfonso V were beaten by the Castilian left center, led by the Duke of Alban, Cardinal Mendoza. But it was a major political victory for the Catholic monarchs, assuring to Isabella the throne of Castile. Remnants of the nobles and loyal to Juana de uh, Trastamara adhered to uh, Isabella. With great political vision, Isabella took advantage in a moment and summoned the Cortez at uh, Madrigal, Segovia. There her daughter was proclaimed sworn heiress of the Castile's crown, which was the equivalent of legitimizing her own throne. Well... Fifteen sixty-two, sixty-three Huguenots are massacred at Wasi, France, marking the start of the French Wars of Religion. Well, that's a hell of a thing to fight about, isn't it? Sixteen twenty-eight, writs issued in February by Charles I of England mandate that every uh, county in England, not just seaport towns, have to pay a ship tax. Sixteen thirty-three, Samuel de Champlain reclaims his role as commander in New France on behalf of Cardinal Richelieu. 1692, Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, and Tituba are brought before the local magistrates in Salem Village, Massachusetts, beginning what would be known as the Salem Witch Trials. 1781, Articles of Confederation go into effect in the U.S. 1781, I'm sorry, 1796, Dutch East India Company is nationalized by the Batavian Republic. 1805, Justice Samuel Chase is acquitted at the end of the, his impeachment trial by the U.S. Senate. 1811, leaders of the Mamluk dynasty are killed by Egyptian ruler Muhammad Ali. 1815, Napoleon returns to France from his banishment in Elba. 1836, a convention of delegates from 57 Texas communities convened in Washington on the Brazos, Texas, to... Uh, Deliberate independence from Mexico. 1845, U.S. President John Tyler signs a bill authorizing the U.S. to annex the Republic of Texas. 1867, Nebraska is admitted as the 37th U.S. state. Uh, 1870, Marshal F.S. Lopez dies during the Battle of Cerro Cora, marking the end of the Paraguayan War. 1871, the victorious Prussian army parades through Paris after the end of the siege of Paris during the Franco-Prussian War. 1872, Yellowstone National Park is established as the world's first national park. 1893, electrical engineer Nikola Tesla gives the first public demonstration of radio in St. Louis. 1896, the Battle of Adwa. Ethiopian army defeats an outnumbered Italian force, ending the First Italo-Ethiopian War. 1896, Andre. Bequero discovers radioactive decay. 1901, the Australian Army is formed. 1910, the deadliest avalanche in U.S. history buries a Great Northern Railway train in northeast King County, Washington. Killed 96 people. 1914, China joins the Universal Postal Union. 1917, the Zimmerman telegrams reprinted in newspapers across the U.S. after the U.S. government releases its unencrypted text. It was never determined, was it um, a hoax or was it real? 1919, the March 1st movement begins in Korea under Japanese rule. The March 1st movement was a protest movement in early 1919 by the Korean people to call for independence from Imperial Japan and to stop the forced assimilation into Japanese culture. It's remembered as one of the earliest and largest protest movements for Korean independence and as a catalyst for future independence activities. 33 Korean cultural and religious leaders issued a proclamation supported by thousands of students and civilians in Seoul. And there were a thousand demonstrations in many other cities. Brutally suppressed, with Korean historian Park in Sikh reporting about 7,500 were killed and 16,000 were wounded and another 46,000 were arrested. 
1921, the Australian cricket team, captained by Warwick Armstrong, becomes the first team to complete a whitewash of the ashes, uh, something that wouldn't be repeated for uh, 96 years. Now, for those that are not into cricket, a whitewash of the ashes is a sweep in a series in which a person or team wins every game or when a player or a team wins a, a match to nil. And in... Uh, in cricket specifically, a whitewash is when a team wins all the matches played in the series of at least three matches. Never been a follower of cricket. 1921, following mass protests in Petrograd, uh, demanding greater freedom in the uh, RSFSR, the Kronstadt Rebellion begins. Sailors and citizens taking up arms against the Bolsheviks. Unfortunately, it... Uh, didn't succeed. Now, the Kronstadt Rebellion was a 1921 insurrection of Soviet sailors, naval infantry, and civilians against the Bolsheviks in the Russian port city of Kronstadt, located on uh, Kotlin Island in the Gulf of Finland. Uh, Kronstadt defended the former capital city of Petrograd, now St. Petersburg, as the base of the uh, Baltic fleet. For 16 days in March of 1921, rebels in Kronstadt's naval fortress uh, rose in opposition to the Soviet government uh, that actually they helped to consolidate. Led by Stepan Patricienko, the last major revolt against Bolshevik rule in Russian territory during the Russian Civil War. Unfortunately for the world, they didn't succeed. 1932, aviator Charles Lindbergh's 20-month-old son Charles Jr. is kidnapped from his home in East Amwell, New Jersey. What's supposed to have been his body wasn't found until May 12th. Now, there's still a question, and probably always will be, was that body found actually that of Charles Lindbergh Jr.? Nineteen thirty-nine. An imperial Japanese army ammunition dump explodes in Hirokata, Osaka, Japan, killing 94. 1941, World War II, Bulgaria signs the Tripartite Pact, allowing, allying itself with the Axis powers. 1942, World War II, Japanese forces land on Java, the main island of the Dutch East Indies, in Morocco and uh, Banten Bay. Errington, Wheaton, uh, and Kragen. 1946, the Bank of England is nationalized. 1947, the International Monetary Fund begins financial operations. 1950, Cold War. Klaus Fuchs is convicted of spying for the Soviet Union by disclosing top-secret atomic bomb data. 1953, Soviet Premier Joseph Stalin suffers a stroke and collapses. He dies four days later. 1954, nuclear weapons testing. The Castle Bravo, a 15-megaton hydrogen bomb, is detonated on Bikini Atoll in the Pacific Ocean. Results in the worst radioactive contamination ever caused by the U.S. 1954, armed Puerto Rican nationalists attacked the United States Capitol building. Injured five representatives. 1956, the International Air Transport Association finalizes a draft of the radio telephony uh, spelling alphabet for the International Civil Aviation Organization. 1956, formation of the East German National Volks Army. 1958, Samuel Alphonsus Stritch is appointed pro-prefect of the Propagation of Faith and becomes the first U.S. member of the Roman Curia. 1961, Uganda becomes self-governing and holds its first elections. 1962, American Airlines Flight 1 crashes into Jamaica Bay in New York, killed 95 people. 1964, Vila Rica Volcano begins the Strombolian eruption, causing uh, lahars that uh, destroy half the town of uh, Conoripi. 1964, Paradise Airlines Flight 901A crashes near Lake Tahoe, Nevada, killed 85. 1966, Venera-3 Soviet space probe crashes on Venus, becoming the first spacecraft to land on another planet's surface. 
1966, the Ba'ath Party takes power in Syria. 1971, President of Pakistan, Yawa Khan, definitely postpones the pending National Assembly session, precipitating massive civil disobedience in East Pakistan. 1973, Black September storms the Saudi Embassy in Khartoum, Sudan, resulting in the assassination of three Western hostages. 1974, Watergate scandal. Seven are indicted for their role in a Watergate break-in and charged with conspiracy to obstruct justice. 1981, provisional Irish Republican Army member Bobby Sands begins his hunger strike in H.M. Prison Maze. 1990, Steve Jackson Games is raided by the U.S. Secret Service, prompting the latter formation of the Electronic Frontier Foundation. 1991, uprisings against Saddam Hussein began in Iraq, leading to the deaths of more than 25,000 people, mostly civilians. 1992, Bosnia-Herzegovina declares independence from the Socialist Federal Republic of Yugoslavia. 1998, Titanic becomes the first film to gross over $1 billion worldwide. 2002, U.S. invasion of Afghanistan. Operation Anaconda begins in eastern Afghanistan. 2002, the Invasat environmental satellite successfully launches aboard an Ariane 5 rocket to reach an orbit of 800 kilometers. That's 500 miles above the Earth, which was the then largest payload at 10.5 meters long and the diameter 4.57 meters 2003, management of the United States Customs Service and the United States Secret Service moved to the United States Department of Homeland Security. 2005, in Roper v. Simmons, the U.S. Supreme Court rules the execution of juveniles found guilty of any crime is unconstitutional. They did they grow up and then shoot them. 2006, English language Wikipedia reaches its one millionth article, Jordan Hill Railway Station. 2007, tornadoes break out across the southern United States, killing at least 20, including eight at Enterprise High School. 2008, the American police clash with peaceful opposition ally rally protesting against allegedly fraudulent presidential elections. Ten people are killed. 2014, 35 people are killed and 143 injured in a mass stabbing in Kuming Railway Station in China. Well, that ends our little history segment for today. As you can see, March 1st has been a uh, red-letter day for a lot of things. We've been talking the last couple of shows about things that took place in Hollywood. A lot of people look at Hollywood almost like going to the Holy Land. And that may be good, that may be bad. We've got um, a lot of stories about um, the death of actors and a lot of conspiracies, conspiracies have grown up around certain actors. But some actors and actresses literally fell out of the limelight, never to return. Let's talk about Jean Arthur. Real name Gladys Georgiana Green. Died in 1991. On the screen, she had a husky adolescent voice and infectious laughter. Projected a mixture of vulnerability and forthrightfulness. On camera, she was... Very independent, extremely private, and quite eccentric. Frank Copper directed her in several 1930 comedy classics and made the comment, never have I seen a performer plagued with such chronic case of stage jitters. When the camera stopped running, she'd run to her dressing room and lock herself in and cry. When asked in the mid-1960s why she'd abandoned Hollywood, she said, I hated the place. Not the work, but the lack of privacy. Those terrible, prying fan magazine writers and all the surrounding exploitation. 
Well, she was born in Plattsburgh, New York. Family moved frequently during her childhood because of her father's occupation as a commercial artist. But early 20, she was a New York City model, which led to a screen audition with Fox Films in Hollywood. A few days uh, After a few days starring in the Temple of Venus in 1923, she had to be replaced. She says later that's where and why I developed the most beautiful inferiority complex she'd ever seen. But she stayed in the industry. By 1928, she signed a contract with Paramount, married photographer Julian Anker. But the union was annulled after just one day. 1929, she appeared in her first all-talking picture, The Canary Murder Case. Uh, by 1931, after 14 fairly unremarkable roles at Paramount, she went back to New York. 1932, she made her Broadway debut in Foreign Affairs and married Frank Ross Jr., a young actor who had played with her in a 1930 film called Young Eagles. Well, going back to Hollywood, she signed with Columbia Pictures, but it wasn't until the 1935 film, The Whole World's Talk, The Whole Town's Talking, that she married opposite Edward G. Robinson. She made a real impact. Just played a refreshing, like, comic touch. In the 1930s, she went on to star with Gary Cooper and Mr. Deeds Goes to Town and The Plainsman. With Cary Grant, uh, in 1939, she did Only Angels Have Wings. With Jimmy Stewart, um, 1938, she said, You Can't Take It With You. And Mr. Smith went to Washington in 1939. Well, despite making these well-known films, it wasn't until the comic The More the Merrier in 1943 that she got her first and only Academy Award nomination. Well, by this time, she had gained a reputation for being high-strung and temperamental on set and aloof with reporters. Her explanation for her moodiness was, I'm not an adult, except when I'm actually working on the set. When her Columbia contract expired in 1944, she didn't make an effort to renew it. She was through at the studio, ran through the back lot, back lot yelling, I'm free, I'm free. She'd hoped to become a full-time independent producer, but the RKO co-produced The Devil Miss Jones in 1943 was her only venture. She planned to go back on Broadway, but left the comedy born yesterday before it opened. 1948, she went back to the movies to do a, a foreign affair. Next year, she divorced her producer husband, Frank Ross. In 1950, she went back on Broadway with Boris Karloff in a Peter Pan revival. And 1953 made her final motion picture, the classic Western Shane with Alan Ladd. Well, after that, she became even more private. Broke her retirement in 63 by acting in a college production of St. Joan. Made her TV debut in a segment of Gunsmoke was... Lured into doing uh, the Gene Arthur Show, a sitcom that lasted uh, just 12 episodes in 1966. Well, she completely retired in Carmel, moved to a smaller place facing the ocean. Spent most of her time uh, with her pets and her garden. Sometimes she'd be seen uh, strolling along the beach. Or going to the local shops. Spring of 89, she suffered a stroke that left her an invalid. June 19, 1991, she died quietly of a heart attack at Carmel Convalescent Hospital. There was no funeral services. Her ashes were scattered at sea on Point Lobos. Ironically, actress uh, Joan Caulfield, who's uh, Jean Arthur's ex-husband, Frank Ross, married in 1950, died one day before Jean did. Well, until the end, she remained firm about uh, not granting interviews. When begged by a Los Angeles TV host in the mid-1980s to do an interview for his program, she said uh, very firmly, Quite frankly, sir, I'd rather have my throat slit. Well, let's talk about another actress who didn't realize her potential. Agnes Ayers. Well, name was um, Agnes Hinkle, or her birth name, rather. 
She died in uh, on Christmas Day, 1940. You know, sometimes fate can push an individual into stardom and in the next breath, yank it away. Well, Agnes Ayers was one such individual. Born in Carbondale in southern Illinois. At age of 16, her family is living in Chicago. One day in late 1914, a girlfriend suggested they tour the local uh, SNA film studio. Agnes's impressive profile and petite figure was noticed by a staff director. She was put in a crowd scene of a feature currently being shot and paid $3 at the end of that day. That was unbelievable. She was asked to return, and she did. By 1916, she and her mother moved to New York City. Got a big, a big break when the photograph star, um, Alice Joyce, noticed a resemblance between Agnes and herself. So Ayers was hired to play Joyce's sister in Richard uh, Brazen in 1917. She played in 25 productions at the Vitagraph before she decided to try Hollywood. She married an army captain named uh, Frank Schuker during World War I, but the couple uh, separated in 1921. Their divorce was final. Paramount executive producer Jesse Lasky saw Agnes on screen in 1920 and arranged an introduction. And although he was married and had some children, Agnes became his mistress. He starred her in the Civil War tale held by the enemy in 1920. And she got good notices. I mean, she did have some talent. Studio director Cecil B. DeMille was asked to give her leading roles in the affairs of Anatole in 1921, Forbidden Fruit also in 21, and The Ten Commandments in 1923. Then Agnes went on to co-star with popular Wallace Reed in four features, including Clarence in 1922. And he actually became entranced with Reed, who was actually a drug addict. Despite the fact he was married, paid long and frequent visits to him at home. Finally, Reed's wife threatened to throw acid in her face if she came back again, which effectively ended that relationship. Her professional peak came in Rudolph Valentino's The Sheik in 1921. She became the frightened English heiress he carries into his desert tent. In uh, the sequel, The Son of the Sheik, in 1926, which also starred Valentino, she'd play the young hero's mother. In 1923, her romance with Lasky had ended, and she wanted married, and he wanted to, to get married, and she he wanted to avoid a, a divorce. No longer with a mentor, she stopped getting the best scripts and directors. She wasn't worried financially because she'd invested wisely in real estate. Went on to marry Mexican diplomat Manuel Ricci in 1924, and they had a daughter born in 1925. Unfortunately for Ayers, the couple divorced in 1927. Nevertheless, her screen career declined, with her final important movie role being the second female lead in Frank Capra's The Donovan Affair in 1929. By that point in time, she was worth over a half million dollars, but in the big start market crash, of 29, she lost everything. Now, penniless, she played vaudeville, toured, and won. Bit roles, including an unbilled role in Janet Gaynor's Small Town Girl in 1936. Well, the realization her screen career was over depressed her, and she soon committed to a sanitarium. In 1939, her ex-husband, who was now a film producer, gained custody of their daughter, and the severely despondent uh, Agnes Ayers died of a cerebral hemorrhage December 25, 1950, in West Hollywood. From the height of stardom, at her death, she had forgotten by everybody. Well, another name that still resounds even today is Lita Berra, born Theodosia Goodman. In the silent movie of Fool There Was in 1915, Theodore Berra says, uh, Kiss me, my fool. New York dramatic Mira was very enthusiastic, said Miss Berra misses no chance for sensual appeal. She's a horribly fascinating woman, cruel and vicious to the core. 
Well, with this trend-setting movie, she became a movie star. First, I'm a new type of screen-leading lady. A vamp. Born in Cincinnati, she was the daughter of a Jewish tailor and a mother of Swiss descent. When she graduated from high school, she moved to New York to pursue a theatrical career. With her hair dyed black and exotic makeup, she was cast in a version of Molnar's The Devils in 1908. She toured in The Quaker Girl with Hedda Hopper in 1911, and by 1914 was back in New York. Came to the attention of film producer Frank Powell. And though she admitted later, in my mind, was said emphatically against it, she accepted movie work because of her uncertain finances. Well, with the release of A Fool There Was, her stardom was insured, and she helped filmmaker William Fox build the Fox Film Corporation with her string of hits. All generally variations of her innovative vamp persona. Studio publicity department was at his invented best, creating an alluring background for Theta and insisting she was the daughter of an Eastern potentate and insisting her name was an anagram for Arab Death. For Destruction, which was made in 1916, the studio promoted her as the most fascinating and famous vampire in her most daring role, bringing ruin and disaster to thousands. When she starred in Cleopatra in 1917, she caused another typical Barafura by is playing more of her shoulders than movie censors approved. I mean, she even showed her elbows. My God, what? Would nothing stop her? Late 1917, she announced grandly, during the rest of my screen career, I'm going to continue doing vampires as long as people sin. I believe humanity needs the moral lesson and needs to repeatedly in large doses. Well, both the studio and the star realized she could only repeat her vamp impersonations, uh, so many profitable times. When she was cast as Kathleen Bavernerine in 1919, Irish groups picketed the film for presenting a Jewish girl, the Queen of Vamps, no less, as an innocent Irish lass. 1919, when Theta demanded a salary raise from 4000 to 5000 a week, film mogul William Fox refused. He thought she'd become passe and Ardenna's successor in... Uh, Betty Blythe, another young actress. Well, with no satisfactory movie offers forthcoming, she returned to the Broadway stage in The Blue Flame in 1920. The supernatural melodrama was disliked by the critics and public alike and closed after only 48 performances. The next year in Connecticut, she married her longtime film producer, English-born Charles Brobin, retired from the screen in order to make an inconsequential comeback in The Unchastened, Unchastened Woman in 1925. Her final foray was in a Hell Roach short, Madame Mystery, in 1926, which saw a heavily made-up uh, Theta satirizing her own old screen vamp image. Well, she retired to private life as a Los Angeles Society matron. In the 1930s, she tried a few local stage comebacks, wrote her autobiography, What uh, Women Never Tell, but it was never published. Sold her life story to Columbia Pictures in the early 50s, but it was never filmed. 1954, she contemplated a return to the stage in East Coast summer stock, but the project fell through. And in 1954, she was diagnosed with abdominal cancer in her California Lutheran Hospital, February 13, 1955. That April 7th, she died, a nearly forgotten innovator of the motion picture industry. Her husband died on November 3rd, 1957, so he wasn't long behind her. Well, let's talk about Edwina Booth, also known as Josephine Constance Woodruff. She died in 1991. As Nina, the sumptuous white goddess with the long blonde tresses and MGM's traitor horn in 1931, Edwina Booth gained screen immortality. That career-making role also proved to be her professional undoing. Made a few other pictures and disappeared from the screen entirely. For years, her whereabouts remained a mystery, piquing the interest of movie aficionados. As rumors she died, her dem demise was reported on several different occasions. However, on May 18, 1991, the truth was finally revealed. Uh, she had passed away in a Long Beach convalescent home of old age, this time... Uh, 
According to her brother, Booth Woodruff, this time she really did die. She was born in Provo, Utah, under the name of Josephine Constance Woodruff. By 1828, she was in Hollywood appearing in Nancy Carroll's Manhattan Cocktail. And, and the next year in Our Modern Maidens, that last picture starring Joan Crawford's made at MGM. That studio was embarking on a campaign to find a new face to play the unusual heroine of its jungle epic Trader Horn. And 28-year-old Edwina was hired for the role. May 1st, 1929, she and the cast and the crew of the adventure film arrived in East Africa. And that production endured several months of nightmarish torment under horrible conditions. Hostile natives, fierce animals, bizarre tropical diseases, primitive sound equipment. By the time the cast returned by boat to New York, MGM head Louis B. Mayard viewed the Cinehead footage. He declared the project a mess and that the cast was fired. However, other studio executives uh, convinced second-in-charge Irving Thalberg to salvage the production. After nearly a year later, the film went through refilming in Los Angeles and New Mexico, done under hush-hush circumstances. MGM fearing adverse reaction if it were generally known that the result of the film hadn't been fully shot in the African wilds. After production cost of $1.3 million, Trader Horn debuted on fe in February 1931 to critical enthusiasm. It grossed an incredible profit of 937000 Meanwhile, Edwina Booth reteamed re with Trader Horn co-star Harry Carey in two serials, the Vanishing Legion in 1931 and The Last of the Mohicans in 1932, and then made a low-budget feature, The Midnight Patrol, in 1932. By the time the, the release of The Midnight Patrol, she was confined to bed for what proved to be more than a five-year recovery. She was suffering from tropical maladies she'd contracted while filming Trader Horn in Africa. She sued Metro-Golden-Mayer for over a million dollars, detailing that the studio demanded she, the sunbathe, uh, she sunbathed nude on the ship's deck on the 10-day voyage from Naples to Mombasa. Once in Africa, she said they failed to provide her with necessary protective clothing adequate for the lengthy jungle stay. Her suit stated her ailments were caused by the tropical sun and bites from unidentified jungle insects. The uh, case was eventually settled out of court for an undisclosed sum. When she recovered, she never returned to the entertainment profession. She did continue to get fan mail until she died, devoted most of her time to working for a Mormon temple in Hollywood, married uh, Reinhold Feiberg, who died in 1984. When she died at the Medallion Convalescent Hospital in Long Beach in May of 91, she was uh, survived by her brother, a sister, Betty Benson, and two stepdaughters. With her death, the decades-old mystery of the elusive Edwina Booth was solved once and for all. She actually did die. Another one that died in obscurity at one point in time was on everybody's um, people fought to see was Clara Bow. Actually died in 1965. The redhead with the bobbed hair, the cupid's lips, and the playful pout was the essence of the roaring 20s. She was the it girl, the Brooklyn bonfire. Most of all, she was a vivacious jazz baby who symbolized an era. But later in life, she sadly admitted it was never like I thought it was going to be. It was always a disappointment to me. She had an unpleasant, impoverished childhood in Brooklyn. Her mother, Sarah, had lost two previous daughters in childbirth and ordeals that damaged uh, her mother's physical and mental health. Clara recalled her mother never knew a Moment free from illness. Once when Clara was a youngster, she woke to find her mother lurching over her with a butcher knife, ranting and screaming, you'd better off, you'll be better off dead than an actress. Clara claimed she never slept a full night after that. When 1921, she borrowed a dollar from her doting father to enter a movie magazine contest and won a screen test. Made her movie debut in Over the Rainbow in 1922. 1923, the same year her mother died in a state mental hospital, producer uh, B.P. Schauberg brought her to Hollywood to make pictures. Now, many of her early efforts were, shall we say, forgettable, but she made an impression playing a spirited flapper in the plastic age in 1925.
By the time of it, in 1927, Schalberg was entranced at Paramount Pictures and Clara was a top star. It was the pinnacle of her career. She was the idol of shop girls and the fantasy of men everywhere. Studio chief Adolf Zucker would later recall of magnetic Clara that she was exactly the same off screen as she was on. She danced even when her feet weren't moving. Some part of her was in motion in all her waking moments if it was only her rolling eyes. Well, her popularity rose with the World War I epic Wings in 1927. She played a live wire Red Cross worker, made her talkie debut in The Wild Party in 29, and the critics forgave her Brooklynese speaking voice. And she's learning, earning an impressive $2,800 a week. But she didn't have any business sense, either to invest her earnings or to demand the higher salaries she could have had from Paramount. And whenever the pressure got too severe, she just had a nervous breakdown. Over the years, those in the industry were well aware of Clara's free-living, free-spending habits. She had affairs with a succession of her leading men, including Gary Cooper and Eddie Cantor, Roland Gilbert and Harry Richmond, as well as uh, a lot of non-actors. Al Jolson even joked on the radio about Clara sleeping uh, catacornered on the bed. She did his best to play down her gambling binges, her amorous indiscretions, her abortions in Mexico. And uh, then all hell broke loose, and all the studio's efforts went for nil. January 13, 1931, Clara brought Daisy DeVoe, her former secretary, to court on charges of blackmail and embezzlement. Going the offensive, uh, Daisy paraded forth in detail the wild life her past employer was living. It was mentioned that the USC football coach had slapped up a notice in the locker room that Clara Bowles off-limits to all members of the football team. Well, Daisy got a minor sentence and served only one year in prison. Bewildered, Clara asked the judge, my best friend Daisy was, uh, why did she have to do that to me? Well, the trauma of the scandal caused Clara to have several nervous breakdowns as she was sent to recuperate the sanitarium. And after that, the studio dropped her contract. New film deals were pending, but instead Clara married cowboy actor Rex Bell in Las Vegas and the couple moved to his ranch in Spotlight, Nevada. Well, throughout this period, Clara, who was never slim, blossomed up and down in weight, made a brief comeback attempt in Collar Savage in 1932 and Hoopla in 1933. But movie-goers had found new screen idols, and Clara was now a thing of the past. So she lapsed into private life. She and Rex had two children, Rex Jr. and George. At times, her weight blossomed to a near 200 pounds. After Belle retired from movie-making, uh, they opened a Hollywood restaurant, and that failed. Later on, they sold the Nevada ranch and moved to Las Vegas. There, Bell operated a Western apparel store. Last time Clara was in the entertainment limelight was 1947, when she was the mystery voice on Ralph Edwards' Truth or Consequences radio show. 1954, Bell became lieutenant governor of Nevada and was re-elected in 1958. As for Clara, like her mother before, her mental health remained precarious. Hospitalized in the Los Angeles area in the mid-50s, she later retreated to a modest Culver City bungalow with a live-in companion, nurse. And although she and Bell rarely saw one another, they never did divorce. He died in July 1962 of a heart attack while seeking the governorship in Nevada. Clara emerged from seclusion to attend the funeral at Forest Lawn. Well, by 1965, Clara was living the barren life of a recluse. In more coherent moments, she told the press, we had individuality, we did as we pleased, we stayed up late, we dressed the way we wanted. Today, stars are sensible and end up with better health, but we had a whole lot more fun. Shortly before midnight on September 26, 1965, while watching a movie on TV, she died at her Cover City bungalow of a heart attack. I got the hiccups. Buried at Forest Lawn in a vault next to her husband. At the service, Ralph Edwards read from the prophet, uh, among those who uh, paid their final respects to Clara were such old friends as Jack Oakey, uh, Richard Arlen, uh, Harry Richmond, and Maxie Rosenblum. And uh, Whitney Bolton, the New York Morning Telegraph, offered a final fitting tribute to Clara. She had fright in her, this girl. She had defiance. There was a flower of fright. She had a kind of jaunty air of telling you she didn't care what happened. She could handle it. Bolton also talked about the time he encountered Bo on the Paramount lot in the late 1920s. She said, Miss Bo, when you add it all up, what is it? Clara thought for a minute and then said, well, I ain't real sure. 
Well, then we have Mary Pickford. Born Gladys Marie Smith. Early 20th century, Canadian-born Mary Pickford became America's sweetheart. That smiling girl with the golden brown curls. She's barely five foot tall. Reigned supreme in an age when the movie industry was primitive, naive, and optimistic. And long after she retired from acting in the mid-30s, she remained in the public eye as a co-owner of a major film studio, a movie producer, and the social hostess uh, that ruled over Beverly Hills' legendary estate, Pickfair. Later, the heavy-drinking Mary shrank from the limelight into a private world of alcoholism and bittersweet memories. Her ex-movie star husband, Charles Buddy Rogers, became the buffer between her and the real world. Always apologizing for or uh, explaining away and bringing messages from dear Mary. When she died at 86, her passing brought back into focus a bygone era when once she and her partners, Charlie Champlin, Douglas Fairbanks Sr., her second husband, and D.W. Griffin had dominated the American film industry. Well, she was born in Toronto, Canada, 1893, as Gladys Smith, the oldest of three children to her Britisher and his Irish wife. When she was four years old, her father died. Her mother operated a penny candy concession and took in sewing. Well, because money was so short, Gladys only had six or seven months of formal schooling as a child. At the age of five, she made her film debut with her daughter, uh, sister Lottie in The Silver King at the Toronto Opera House. Realizing that there was money to be made in show business, Charlotte Smith became an overnight stage mother and controlled her daughter's career until Miss Smith died in 1928. Between 1901 and 1906, Gladys, who was billed as Baby Gladys Smith and her family, were on the road in American, uh, American touring companies. Having outgrown her name tag, she determined to try Broadway, forced an audition with austere stage impresario David Belasco. He cast her in the Warrens of Virginia in 1907 and gave her the stage name of Mary Pickford. Later, while touring with the show in Chicago, she saw her first movie and never thought she'd have to stoop to working in the flickers. But needing work in 1909, she went to American uh, Mutoscope and Biograph Company on Manhattan's East 14th Street, where director D.W. Griffin hired her for five bucks a day. Took any role offered. Realizing if I could get in, in as, into as many pictures as possible, I'd become known and there'd be a demand for my work. Well, before long, she was earning a very high salary for those days, $175 a week. By 1913, she was making features for Adolf Zucker's famous Players Paramount Company. It's for Test of the Storm Country in 1914 that she was promoted as America's Sweetheart. Reached the peak of fame with Rebecca of Sunnybrook Farm and The Poor Little Rich Girl in 1917, both featuring the very adult Mary as a youngsters. Despite her age, she carried off her illusions wonderfully well. Meanwhile, while working at the Biograph Theater, she met the actor Owen Moore, and they married in 1911. Well, her, her career eclipsed his by light years. Always astute about the financial side of movie making, in 1919, Mary formed United Artists Pictures with Douglas Fairbanks Sr., Charlie Chaplin, and D.W. Griffin. It was a pathfinding concept leading to one individual to make the quip. The lunatics were taking over the asylum. The next year, she divorced Moore on March 30, 1920, in Los Angeles, married screen swashbuckler and comedian Fairbanks. Well, contrary to their films, the legal union of Doug and Mary enhanced their mutual fame. When they toured in the U.S. and abroad, uh, the fans mobbed them. Everywhere they went. They were indeed the most fam- most popular couple in the world. Fairbanks gave her a splendid new home in Beverly Hills, a pick fair, which became the stopping off place for visiting celebrities from all over the world. And although she tried to break out of her mold with costume drama such as Dorothy Vernon of Haddon Hall in 1924, the public wanted Mary to stay in children's roles, and she obliged for a while. She and Fairbanks made only one feature together, The Taming of the Shrew in 1929. Well, Mary won an Oscar for Coquette in 1929 and made a few more movies, but after Secrets in 1933, she retired, insisting I wanted to stop before I was asked to stop. Nevertheless, there were several aborted comebacks. Effort to always, it was another actress who finally got the part. 
Well, with both their careers faltering, Mary and Doug sought consolation elsewhere. Doug fell in love with uh, British uh, musical comedy actress uh, Sylvia Hawks and then uh, wed to Lord Ashley. After a round robin of divorces, Fairbanks married her. He died in 1939. In June of 37, Mary married uh, Charles Buddy Rogers, 11 years her junior, who co-starred with her in My Best Gal in 1927. In 1940, they adopted two children, Ronald and Roxanne. Well, as time wore on, Mary retreated further and further from the movie colony she once ruled. After a 1965 trip abroad, she literally took to the bed, insisting she had worked since she was five years old and now wanted a rest. Occasionally, she'd roam the halls of Pig Fair at night, completing the surrealistic atmosphere with certain house rules. When visitors came, they could speak to Mary only through a house phone. Newspapers brought to her had any possibly disturbing story clipped out. And basically, her daily diet consisted of almost a quart of whiskey. Well, in the early 76, the nearly forgotten mayor was persuaded to accept a special Academy Award in recognition for unique contributions to the film industry and the development of the film as an artistic medium. For the March 29, 1976 Oscars show, the Pickford segment was pre-taped at Pickfair. Mary, with her wig slightly askew, accepted her statuette and remembered a few words, and highly publicized event proved to be more grand guignol than the intended uh, affectionate nod to a industry pioneer. In the remaining years, Mary grew more sickly and distant, retreating further into drinking the Bible. Reported in the last month, she would awake from nightmares screaming for her mother and Douglas Fairbanks. Um, Pickford uh, finally died of a stroke May 29, 1979, Santa Monica Hospital. Left in the state estimated at $50 million, with much of it going to a charity entity, the Mary Pickford Foundation. She was buried at Forest Lawn Memorial Park in Glendale in an outdoor garden near the Mystery of Life section. Her mother... Her brother, who died of alcoholism, and a sister who died of coronary cirrhosis and drinking, uh, buried there as well. Two years after Mary's death, Rogers married uh, Beverly Ricondo, a real estate agent he had known for a long time. As for Pickfair, the estate eventually went to being owned by Pia Zador and her husband, uh, Meshulam Rickless, with the main house virtually torn down to make way for their new showcase home. Well, as is the case in many places, the past had to go to make room for the future. Well, there's been a, a lot of very well-known actors and actresses who died in obscurity. I've only covered some of the, the majors. We'll be back in our next show talk about more bizarre events. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening. <laughs>